The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. This morning's scripture is found in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. Luke chapter 4, verses, starting at verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report went about him as he went out throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. We continue this morning in our study of the Gospel of Luke. My aim this morning, it's similar to last week's aim and probably will stay this way throughout the Gospel of Luke. (laughs) My aim is that we would see Jesus, that we would receive him and trust him and open him. He is the Christ. He's the promised Messiah. And my aim is that we would love him in accord with the glory of his person and his grace to us. So, when I say that, you might think I just mean that that's my aim for those who have not yet trusted Christ. And it is my aim for those of you here who have not yet trusted Christ, that you would see Jesus and, and see him as he really is and, and love him and that he would grant you the gift of faith and you would be enfolded in his grace. But, I mean, that's true. If you've not believed in Jesus, my aim is true for you. But it's also true for believers that God would, by his grace, by his word, strengthen our faith in Jesus That's how we 
persevere to the end. We're kept by the power of God through faith. Lord, Father, strengthen our faith in Jesus. Open our eyes to see him as he is, that we would love him and trust him and rest in him and hope in him. Worship him, treasure him now and forever, all the way to the end. So it's my aim whether you're an unbeliever right now or a believer right now. And so let me pray that God would, by his word, cause his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to stand forth and be seen and draw us close. Father in heaven, please help us now as we look into your word. Show us Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Savior of the world. And grant that our, our puny ways of thinking in our, in our little town, in our little world, in our little tribe, in our politicized and racialized and individualized culture would be blown apart as we look at Jesus, the Christ, the Savior of the world. So draw us in, draw us close, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just give you a a brief overview of the text. So now our text is the account of Jesus' return to his hometown, and there's this turning point in the text, and it comes after Jesus told the synagogue congregation at Nazareth, Nazareth quite, quite plainly that he's the promised Jewish Messiah, the Christ, and they're skeptical and unbelieving. And so then Jesus reminds them about the prophets Elijah and Elisha, whom God sent from Israel to bring grace and salvation to two Gentiles, a widow and a leper. And that made the people in the congregation furious, such that they took immediate steps to throw him off a cliff. (laughs) I take it when you're dragged off to be thrown off a cliff, they want to kill you. So, let's walk through it. So this is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry in the Gospel of Luke. And he had come out of the wilderness temptations, not weakened, but strong in the power of the Holy Spirit, verse 14. And he began teaching throughout the region of Galilee. Verse 15 says, He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all their synagogues, meaning the Jewish synagogues. And the Gospels of Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus first preached in and ministered in the Galilean town of Capernaum on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And, and that was in fulfillment of the words of the prophet Isaiah that the people living in Galilee of the Gentiles Those people dwelling in darkness would see a great light. 
Jesus began his ministry there immediately after the temptations. And now he comes to Nazareth, his hometown. And by the time he gets there, his reputation has gone before him. Nazareth is not an important town in Jewish national life or the history of Israel. Its reputation was sinful. Its dialect was crude. And today might, we might say, well, Nazareth is a hick town. Remember what Nathaniel, the disciple, said when he heard that Jesus had come from Nazareth. He said, can anything good come from Nazareth? So that's Nazareth. Verse 16, upon arriving in Nazareth, quote, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. <laughs> I first read that and I thought, Jesus went to church. <laughs> he went to church. This was his, this was his custom. You know, I think it's very interesting in a society like ours where I'm not going to make a whole lot of that because it could just be referring to his custom in his ministry, but I don't think it is. It seems very likely that Jesus grew up going to this same synagogue with his parents. And the congregation knew him, presumably. These were his boyhood neighbors. I've done this. I preached in my home church in South Minneapolis and look out and you see the older, the people that are older now who are your Sunday school teachers and your boyhood friends who you, you went to Sunday school class with. So I think Jesus is seeing these people who poured into his life as a child, his neighbors, the 30-somethings, now, who were children then when he grew up, and family members were there, brothers and sisters, extended families. So Jesus is in his home synagogue. And when the time came to worship, at the point of the reading of the scriptures, Jesus stood up. I take it that they welcomed him as a guest rabbi. He stood up and was handed a scroll of the scriptures, and it was a scroll of the book of Isaiah. And he opened up the scroll to Isaiah 61, a prophecy about the promised Messiah written some 800 years before. And he began reading. And the, in the text, the voice in the text is the voice of the Messiah. Speaking about his anointing and about his mission. So Jesus reads aloud, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And after Jesus read those two verses, he rolled up the scroll and handed it to the attendant. And as was the custom of the day, 
the teacher, the rabbi, would sit down to preach and expound on the scriptures that had just been read. So nothing unusual so far. As Jesus positioned himself to teach, the eyes of the congregation were riveted on this son of Nazareth in anticipation of what he might have to say. Verse 21, And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. One sentence. In other words, Jesus is telling them, I am the fulfillment of this messianic prophecy. I am the promised Messiah. I am the Christ. Ah, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He's anointed me and sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and me to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind and me to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And he's anointed me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The text sketched out who he was, Jesus, the Messiah, and what his mission would be. Let me, let me walk through the mission. I'll put it in four points. Jesus says, I have been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. And we know from Jesus' ministry recorded in the Gospels, he did preach good news to the economically poor. And he wants us to have the same heart for the poor, to bring mercy to them and grace and kindness. And it was so beautifully illustrated last Friday night in the, in the movie, Mully. If you haven't seen it, you should see that movie. How by the grace of God in this man's life, he walked away from success and tons of money to minister to the poor in Nigeria. Jesus did minister to the economically poor. And, and I think one of the things that communicates is, look, if Jesus is preaching to the poor who are often overlooked and the good things that are happening, if he's bringing the gospel to them, his gospel's for everybody. It's for everybody. And yet we also know that there's another kind of poverty, irrespective of financial status. By nature, all human beings are in a state of spiritual poverty, spiritual bankruptcy. And Jesus has come to proclaim the riches of the kingdom to those who realize they have no spiritual resources by which to be saved. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And not only that, he says, I've been anointed to proclaim good news of liberty to the captives. 
And I'll also include here, also, he's come to proclaim release to those who are oppressed. And Jesus did proclaim liberty to captives and release to those who were oppressed. Matthew's gospel describes this. He says, The people brought Jesus all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And we also know from Jesus' teaching, irrespective of physical suffering or captivity to other human beings or demonic oppression, irrespective of that, all human beings without exception are captive, oppressed, in bondage to sin. And Jesus has come with good news for all who are captive and in bondage to sin, spiritual bondage. He says in John 8, 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And not only that, he says, I have come, I've been anointed to proclaim good news of sight to the blind. And Jesus did proclaim good news of sight to the blind and and doing so by various miracles many times. And, And this was a pointer to a deeper spiritual affliction a spiritual blindness that pervades all humanity apart from the gospel and keeps us from God. You know how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 4. Paul says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Jesus came into the world as the light of the world, proclaiming the gospel to all who are spiritually blind that by the mercy and miracle of God, we might see him and be saved. And not only that, he says, I've been anointed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And right after Jesus read that in Isaiah 61, he stopped. And surely those in the congregation who who knew the scriptures and knew this promise of the coming Messiah knew that he broke it off. He quit in the middle of the verse. 
The verse in Isaiah 61, verse 2, goes on to say, it doesn't just say to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It goes on to say, and the day of vengeance of our God. He left that off. Why does he announce the good news of the year of God's favor, the season of grace? Why does he say, I've come to do that, announce this year of God's favor, the season of grace? And why doesn't he read that he's come to declare the day of God's vengeance having arrived, the day when the Messiah will come in judgment? and in vengeance and punish all the evil doers. Jesus is revealing something that it seems that many of the prophets didn't understand and I don't think John the Baptist realized. The common expectation in Israel, and this is right, is that the Messiah would come with salvation and judgment. But what Jesus is displaying here and he displays in his life and the rest of the New Testament explains is that the Messiah comes twice. At his first coming, the Messiah brings salvation to the lost and sinful world. This is this year of the Lord's favor, this year of the Lord's grace. And though there are aspects of judgment in this season of grace, Jesus the Christ has not come to bring about the final judgment at his first coming, but the year of the Lord's favor. That's why Jesus said, actually it's in the passage that that we just heard, a little further on, John three seventeen. right after John three sixteen. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's why on Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey with all these emblems of peace around him. He came in peace. He came to save. He came to lay his life down as a guilt offering, to offer forgiveness and amnesty to all those who receive him in faith. We're now in this year of the Lord's favor, this season. Of grace. I love it that it says year of the Lord's favor in contrast to the day of vengeance. You get it? We're in this window of God's grace where salvation is offered and extended to us. Forgiveness, amnesty, peace, reconciliation with God. But the day will come to an end. The, the, the year of God's favor will come to an end and there will be the day of vengeance 
And Jesus will not be on a, on a donkey of peace, but on a white horse of righteous battle. The Apostle John saw this in a vision in Revelation 19, the day of vengeance. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is the day of vengeance. It's not the first coming, it's the second. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. The winepress, there are grapes of wrath and he will squish out the wrath of God. And bring justice to the world, to the universe and all Evil will face his justice and unbelief and sin will be done away with and Satan will be judged. And on that day, Jesus will come and separate the righteous from the wicked and the wicked he will send to eternal punishment and the righteous he will gather to himself to live together with him in the new heavens and the new earth. And we who have received Christ in this year of the Lord's grace need not fear his judgment. Why? He came to save us from it. <laughs> that's, that's the point. Come to forgive us and rescue us, lavishing on us his love and his mercy and his perfect love casts out fear of that day of judgment. So we need not fear. So when Jesus, when Jesus spoke about the year of the Lord's Favor, without speaking of the year, the day of the Lord's vengeance. He sat down, and the text in verse twenty-two says, "All spoke well of him and marvelled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth." So the people are talking about him. The word marveled is a word used in the Gospels and in Luke for a response, could be negative or positive, of people to the miraculous. They remarked on the gracious words or the words concerning grace coming out of his mouth. Which tells me they noticed what Jesus left out. And I get the impression that it bugged them. Text doesn't say that loud and clear, but I get the impression it bugged them. It, if you were 
probably a fairly normal Jewish person in Israel, which was occupied by the Roman army, probably a default prayer of yours would have been, God, send the Messiah in judgment. Get them out of here. The Roman foot is on my neck. They have sinned against us and they've sinned against you. But here's the deal. (laughs) Apart from the day of grace, the salvation of Christ, you pray for justice? You know what happens? I mean, just think about it. You're praying for your own damnation. As if the justice is going to come on the Romans and not on... So I think it bugged him. We want that vengeance part. Jesus, tell us you came to to execute vengeance on those stinking Romans. Not realizing their own poverty and blindness and oppression. Captivity to sin. However However positive the reception might have seemed, It quickly turned against Jesus, verse 22. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? Mark's gospel expounds on the reaction of the people, telling us that the people were saying, uh, this is Mark 6, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us. Who the heck is this guy? <laughs> and Jesus, knowing their reaction, said to them, verse 23, now he's reading their minds. Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. What are they saying? What are they thinking? I think what they're thinking is, look, as a physician of the souls, Jesus, you ought to heal your own people first. You ought to not neglect them. And yet they don't even receive him by faith. Perceiving their unbelief, Jesus speaks this general truth. Truly, I say to you, No prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Now the tension's high. And Jesus reminds the the congregation in Nazareth about two accounts of the Old Testament prophets, both of which illustrate God sending his grace, sending salvation beyond the bounds of Israel to the Gentiles. To people like the Romans. 
Remember, he says, verse 25, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over the land. Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. All these widows in in Israel who were suffering from this drought and God sent Elijah to a, a widow outside of Israel in a Gentile land. And similarly, he says in verse 27, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian, non-Jewish, Gentile. In both of those accounts, Israel was rejecting God and rejecting the prophets and, and yet that did not stop God's work. Rather, in both accounts, God sent his grace and salvation to the Gentiles. And of this, the the scriptures foretold many times. I'll just read one. Isaiah 52, 10. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. All the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. I've got to read one more. Psalm twenty two twenty seven. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. The message was clear. Jesus had come. Anointed as the Christ by God, the Messiah, to proclaim salvation Good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, release to those oppressed, and to announce that the time of God's favor had come. Grace to the world. Jesus is the Christ, and the Christ is the Savior of the world. Not just Savior of Nazareth, not just Savior of Israel, not just Savior of my family, my tribe, Savior of the world. That's when the congregation in the synagogue rose up, verse 29, and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. We're about to remember the Lord at the, at the table. Let me highlight two things from this text to set up our approach at the table. Jesus is the Savior of the world. All peoples, every tribe and tongue, this is his messianic mission. We don't know him if we think 
He's come to be our own tribal or ethnic or national Savior. The people of Nazareth, though they doubted him, expected him to come and be the Savior of their community and their town and their nation only. And when he showed them from the Scriptures... God will not be boxed up like that. He's not a genie in a bottle for any one geographic or ethnic people. But the Messiah has come to bring salvation to the world. That's why I like gathering here in downtown Minneapolis. I mean, look around, right? There's all kinds of people around us. There's all kinds of people. I mean, that's why I like that mission. And I've said on many occasions, all peoples means all peoples. Spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. That's who Jesus is. And oh, I hope you see him as Savior of the world and your Savior. And partake of the elements in faith. One more thing I want to say to set up the table. This is the year of God's favor or season of God's grace. From the coming of Christ until now, until it closes with the day of vengeance. This is the season of God's grace. Be reconciled to God now. Can you imagine these people? Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, is preaching to them. And they don't hear it. They don't hear it. Now is the time. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 puts it this way, as Paul. Therefore, do not receive God's grace in vain. Now, quoting from the text, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There's this time called now to draw near to God, to be reconciled with God, to hear his voice and respond with faith and repentance. It's, it's today. It's now. Why does the Bible talk like that? Because you don't know when this year of God's grace is going to end. It could end this afternoon. It could end in a minute. When Christ returns. And so just there's this urgency to draw near to God now and receive his grace and not receive his word like this text or his working in your life in vain. Flush it away for another time. This is a very dangerous thing to do. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Draw near to God today. So, Father, as we go to the table, I pray we do so in faith. 
trusting Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, for the forgiveness of all of our sins and for the fulfillment of all your promises to us through him. He has come to save not just me and not just us, but people from every tribe and tongue. And in that mission, we love him, we receive him, and we rejoice. We rejoice that your gospel has come to us, of all peoples, it's come to us. And we pray for it to come to others. And I also pray that your grace at work in this room right now would not be spurned, would not be flushed away, would not be received in vain, but would be received in faith, in the power of the Spirit, with full effect of love and joy and peace and reconciliation with you, Lord. So bless us now as we remember the Lord Jesus at the table. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.